there and hello there. Yes, you are listening to a very special episode of The Musical Man. Oh, this has been a long time coming. This is our episode on the Descendants franchise, Disney's Descendants, it's true. And the only reason we are recording this is because 30 of you, 30 loyal listeners, wrote five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, through Apple Podcasts, via Apple Podcasts, and so we want to take this time. I'm here with Patty and Benny, of course. All three of us want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, the bottom of our wee hearts, for taking the time to tell us why exactly the show means so much to you, why you enjoy listening to it, and why others should and would get enjoyment out of listening to it. Now, technically, as I said the last time we sat down together, Technically, anyone can listen to this episode. It's going to be available through the main feed, okay? This is not a Patreon exclusive, but it is technically exclusive to those 30 listeners. Now, if you want to feel included, if you don't want to feel guilty for listening to this red-hot material, okay, why don't you go into Apple Podcasts and why don't you write your own five-star review if you haven't already done so. It'll make you feel better. And you know what makes me feel good? Reading all of those five-star reviews reminds myself why we're putting in the work each and every week. It really is. It costs you nothing to do this. It costs you nothing to write a five-star review. So please, if you haven't already done so, please consider doing so. And if you have already done it, thank you again. We have a lot of ground to cover today, Pally and Betty, so let's get started. We're talking about anything and everything that comes as part of the Disney Descendants brand. It's all one big package, and we're going to unpack that package all day today. Yes, we're starting with Descendants, okay? Descendants from 2015, the TV Disney Channel original movie that started it all. It's directed by Kenny Ortega and written by Josanne McGimmon and Sarah Perriott. The cast is as follows. We have Dove Cameron as Mal. Mal, okay, we're going to be getting a little bit of an explanation as to each of these characters. Mal is the daughter of Maleficent and Hades. Okay, okay, you got that. Cameron Boyce plays Carlos. He's the son of Cruella DeVille. Boo Boo Stewart plays Jay. That's the son of Jafar. Sophia Carson plays Evie, the daughter of the evil queen, of course. Duh. Mitchell Hope plays Ben. He is the son of Belle and Beast, a.k.a. Prince Adam, who becomes King Adam, but no one refers to him as Adam. I don't understand why. Everyone refers to this character consistently as Beast. Oh, hello, King Beast. Oh, hello there, Beast. Ah, the beast is biting my neck. Zachary Gibson plays Doug, the son of Dopey. Uh, we have Brenna D'Amico as Jane, the daughter of Fairy Godmother. Deanne Doan as Lonnie, uh, that's the daughter of Famu Lan and presumably Lee Shang, but we never hear Lee Shang's name. And we have Jedediah Goodacre as Chad, the son of Cinderella and Prince Charming. And finally, we have Sarah Jeffrey as Audrey, the daughter of Princess Aurora and Prince Philip, and the granddaughter of Queen Leia. What struck me fairly quick about these family tree designations is how almost none of the kids are working with a complete set of parents. Nine times out of ten, it's parent number one, identified parent number one, and unidentified parent number two. And while I obviously don't find the concept of a single-parent household strange, I can't help but wonder who from the Disney canon is helping to sire all of these kids. You know, in 2019, everyone was asking, who would fuck Emperor Palpatine? And now I 
I am asking in the year of our Lord 2020, who's fucking Jafar? Who's fucking Dopey? I'm not the first to pose these questions, and I won't be the last, but we're not done with this cast. We gotta talk about Keegan Connor Tracy as Belle. We gotta talk about Dan Payne as Beast, King Beast, Melanie Paxson as the Fairy Godmother, Wendy Raquel Robinson as Cruella DeVille, Maz Jabrani, Maz Jabrani, I should say, Maz Jabrani as Jafar, Kathy Najimy as the Evil Queen, and finally, last but certainly not least, Kristen Chenoweth as Maleficent. Let's talk about the plot of Descendants, shall we? So here's how it goes, all right? Belle and the Beast seemingly discontented with the dominion they held over their own damn lands, decided it was time to quote-unquote unite all of the kingdoms, and they were successful in doing so, proclaiming this newly united singular kingdom would be known as Oridon. Did Belle and the Beast choose to eradicate the monarchy at this time? Did they step aside and allow democracy to rule the day? No! Of course not. They are very much the king and queen of Oridon. Why do you ask? Are you concerned about the war and bloodshed that came as a direct result of their decisions? It would be reasonable to do so, but don't worry about it, okay? Here's the thing about Oridon. It does not have room for anyone viewed as less than wholly good. All of society's villains, all of the Disney villains, were cast out decades ago, shipped to the nearby Isle of the Lost. Who came up with this brilliant idea? Why, none other than Belle and the Beast. Duh, our wise and forthright rulers, come on, get with it. The Isle of the Lost is surrounded by a barrier that keeps these villains from escaping while preventing them from using magic. So the Isle of the Lost, eh, it's essentially Alcatraz. As Descendants begins, Ben, the son of Belle and the Beast, as well as the future king of Oradon, as a reminder, decides he will bring four children over from the Isle of the Lost so they can attend Oradon Prep, a school for squishy little goody-goodies. These villain kids, or or VKs are Mal, Carlos, Jay, and Evie. Maleficent makes it clear to the children that while in Oradon, they are to steal the fairy godmother's magic wand and use it to destroy the island barrier. Long story short, the VKs discover being good ain't all that bad, and Mal is forced to face off against her mother, a battle that ends with Maleficent turning into a purple gecko. Key subplots and character arcs, okay? All right, as part of her plan to swipe the magic wand, Mal puts Ben under a love spell via a bewitched chocolate chip cookie. Yum! Chomp chomp! The love spell wears off, however, when Ben swims in an enchanted lake, like you do, but he doesn't reveal this to Mal, not at first. Why? Because he actually does love her and believes she's growing to care for him as well. You know how it is when your boo slips you a magical mickey, but it's cool because you're devising a love trap of your own. Ah, you got caught Caught in a love trap, Mal! Caught in a love trap! By the way, Ben dumped the girl he was seeing, Audrey, so he could be with Mal, and Audrey's understandably upset by the decision, but she gets over it eventually. Meanwhile, Evie falls for Doug, the son of Dopey, by the way. He's a big old band geek. Uh, so Evie falls for Doug after learning that wealth and popularity are nothing compared to being true to yourself. Jay embraces the concept of teamwork by becoming a star athlete. Carlos discovers a love for dogs, and the fairy godmother's daughter, Jane, nearly gets everyone killed because she's tired of being viewed as an ugly duckling. 
Uh, it's a whole thing. Jane is a real sourpuss in the first movie, but she gets her shit together for the sake of two and three. Oh, so happy to report that. General observations regarding the first Descendants film. If the Isle of the Lost is Alcatraz, then the royal family is 100% ice, and that theme really carries through all three of these films. The 2018 Disney Channel movie Zombies rips off Descendants to a wild degree. Just swap out the VKs, the villain kids, for zombies but it also winds up being a lot more successful than the first Descendants film. The romantic angle is sweeter and more affecting in Zombies, the music numbers are a hell of a lot of fun, and the overall product has a cheesy G-rated reefer madness vibe going for it. I know I've recommended Zombies in the past, but I'm recommending it again. Zombies! I kind of love when Carlos and Jay spill out of a limousine upon arriving at Oradon for the first time because they're fighting over a blanket for some reason, and Carlos says, you got everything else. Why do you want whatever this is? And Jay just screams, because you want it. They're bad kids. They're villain kids, VKs. There is an actor in a wheelchair in all three of these movies, but I'm having a hard time identifying her. She never speaks and is never given a name, which says a lot about Disney's priorities. Representation is fine if it doesn't interfere with anything that's happening in the foreground. Why give this girl a name? That would only pigeonhole her. By remaining nameless, she can represent every girl in a wheelchair. Are you puking yet? For the record, fans have devised a theory that's so fucked up that this girl is a mermaid who uses the wheelchair to pass as human. Sure, that's not at all stupid or fucked up, you crazy fans. This movie spends way too much time on what is known as the tourney field. If you're not familiar with tourney, the game Jay and his new jock buddies play, it's because the game doesn't exist. It's clearly meant to serve as a cheap stand-in for Quidditch, a rough combination of lacrosse and football, but it also involves launching small missiles at the players. Ugh, it's baffling. Descendants 2 ditches the tourney stuff in favor of team sword fighting, which is cleaner and more cinematic. The tourney field is used in zombies, by the way. You thought my eye wouldn't catch that? I'm a fan of zombies, all right? I make these connections. I convinced Chris to watch this first movie with me, and the only element he unironically enjoyed was comedian Maz Jabrani's performance as Jafar. He's such a fan of Jabrani that he convinced himself Jafar sings, which definitely does not happen. Maleficent gets her own song because she's played by Kristen Chenoweth, and we need to capitalize on her chops, but none of the other adult villains sing. Can we talk about Kathy Jimmy and how uncomfortable she looks in her dreadful evil queen costume? Oh, that costume is a disaster. Party City would have had better options. There's a mildly kooky 1960s Batman energy to the adult villain scenes, but they could have leaned harder. They really could have leaned on that a lot harder, is what I'm trying to say. Come to think of it, why don't the adult villains get their own song? Hashtag missed opportunity. I'll never get over how this movie casts a black woman in the role of the stubborn and unapologetic racist. For context, Audrey's grandmother, Queen Leia, is a bigot who really hates the idea of a villain kid invading her pristine world. I can just imagine Kenny Ortega relishing the irony of this casting choice. Ah, oh, she's black. Can you believe it? She's an old black woman telling a white girl to eat shit and die. I talk about a turning of the tables. Big takeaway, this franchise is highly influenced by the compilation slash shipping videos you find all over YouTube. Every entry in the series makes time to pump the brakes and show you clips from scenes you've already watched. And while I, I didn't necessarily mind this convention in the sequels, it reads as laughable when you're in the middle of
of the first movie and have 30 minutes to go. You're showing me clips from scenes I saw less than five minutes ago. Give me a break. Descendants, otherwise known as D1 for the purposes of this episode, get used to that. I'm going to be throwing around D1, D2, D3 all the time. D1 is ostensibly about standing apart from your parents, making your own choices, charting your own course, etc., etc. And that's cool, but it's also about abuse, plain and simple. Watching Mal and her friends cower in the face of their parents' anger, their hair-triggered tempers, kind of took me aback, and I have to wonder how kids from tougher backgrounds would process those moments. I thought the movie would end on a somewhat complicated note, something along the lines of, we all have the capacity to do good as well as harm, but we don't reach this conclusion until Descendants 3. For now, it's a matter of, you can either choose to be good or evil. There are no shades of gray. Fair enough, two-point scale of morality. Now, Patty and Betty, we do have clips, right, from various songs from this franchise? Fantastic. I'm going to pick the best and worst song from all of these movies, and we're going to hear little snippets of each of those songs. Uh, the best song from Descendants, the first Descendants, is If Only, and I say best, eh, it's a strong designation. The songs in the first film overall are not that great, but if you put me, if you put my back against a wall, I would probably go with this solo, this ballad solo that Mal has in the first film. Can we get a bit of that? A million thoughts in my head Should have let my heart keep listening Cause up till now I've walked the line Nothing lost but something missing I can't decide what's wrong, what's right, which way should I go? Thank you so much. And when it comes to the worst song, well, that's a much easier selection to make. They do a cover. These these awful children do a rap cover of Be Our Guest. And it's a bad rap, and it is just not working from moment one. Can we get that as well? Ma chère mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now we invite you to relax. Let us pull up a chair as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, Cherie, and we'll provide the rest. That's right. Glee, what hell hath you wrought upon the world? That is absolutely a product of the Glee sensation. That acapella nonsense really got under my skin. I used to like acapella, but now I get a sort of agitated, itchy quality when I hear some of this stuff, especially that cover of Be Our Guest. All right, now we're going to move on to Descendants, School of Secrets, which technically came out before the first film. It, meant, it was meant to serve as a lead-up to the first film, 
uh, but I watched it after, okay? After the first film, all right? That's when I watched it, so sue me, all right? Maybe I'm going out of order. So Descendants School of Secrets was directed by Jonathan Delgado and written by Brian A. Alexander, and it features a number of people, but the only person we really need to concern ourselves with is Diane Doan as Lonnie, who, as you may recall, Lonnie is Fa Mulan's daughter, okay? So we'll, t we'll get back to this in a second, the fact that Lonnie's in the mix here. So the plot of School of Secrets, oh boy, it would be a stretch to say School of Secrets has anything close to resembling a plot. The show serves as a midquel to the first Descendants, taking place after Ben's proclamation and before the arrival of the villain kids at Oradon Prep. A student at Oradon Prep sets up a hidden camera in order to expose the cruelty, the insecurities, and biases of her fellow classmates. She learns a lot about the kids, but she also learns a lot about herself. Hmm? Poignant? Yes? Grasping for poignancy? The identity of this mystery student is is technically never revealed, though Diane Doan is credited, obviously, on IMDb as reprising her role as Lonnie, so I guess Lonnie is behind all of this? I actually couldn't care less. Watching all 23 episodes of this drivel was an exercise in tedium. Let me tell you, I felt embarrassed about it. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't watch it. Every episode clocks in at, like, 90 seconds, so you'd assume it would be easy enough to gobble up and digest, but when every episode involves the same overhead shot of bobbing teenage heads, it all starts to blur together and eventually nothing registers. All of the dialogue is plopped in via ADR and you hardly ever see anyone's mouth for crying out loud, so not a very engaging experience. School of Secrets is vapid, dull, and utterly perfunctory, a loose assemblage of sights and sounds that fails to fill a vacuum no one should have been worried about filling in the first place. Oh, we have to have web content. You can't advertise a TV movie without supplementary web content. School of Secrets is also a blatant ripoff of Gossip Girl, if you hadn't already come to that conclusion. Lonnie even has her own Gossip Girl-style sign-off at the end of each episode. She says, be good, Ordon, someone's watching. Blah! Get out of here! Okay, let's move on to Descendants Wicked World, which also came out in 2015. As I said on Twitter, this franchise is super front-loaded. Most of it was released in 2015. They really hit the ground running with this shit. Okay, so this is an animated short form series. There are technically two seasons. They're all available on Disney Plus. Do not watch it. Do not watch it. <laughs> Unless you just want to feel so mortified the entire time. No one wants to feel mortified. Take a lesson from me, okay? I should have restrained myself. I should have held myself back. But I said, no, I'm going to fucking dive into the deep end of this franchise. So season one of Wicked World was directed by, and I do apologize because I think I'm going to get this wrong inevitably, but directed by Aliki Theophilopoulos. Oh, goodness. That's probably just a, a damn massacre on my part. Aliki Theophilopoulos, oh, written by Ben Joseph and Julia Miranda, though Ben only wrote for the first episode, and then after that, Julia Miranda wrote all of the subsequent episodes. Season 2 is directed by Eric Fogel, and all of those episodes are written by Scott Peterson, and this show features all of our original cast members, but we also get some new characters in the mix. We have Ursula Tahirian as Jordan, the daughter of the genie, Jennifer Veal as Allie, the daughter of Alice, China and 
Anne McLean as Freddy, Dr. No, that's Dr. Facilier's daughter. You remember Dr. Facilier from The Princess and the Frog. We have Myrna Velasco as CJ, the daughter of Captain Hook. And finally, Bradley Stephen Perry as Zevon, the son of Yzma from The Emperor's New Groove. Now, I do have a note regarding China Anne McLean, who we said is playing the character of Freddy in this TV show. China Anne McLean was replaced by her sister, Lauren Alyssa McLean, when China went on to star in Descendants 2. We'll get to her character in that film in just a bit. Uh, Ruby, Rapunzel's daughter, is often mentioned in this series, but we only ever see her hair on screen, okay? So she's not really an actual character. Just want to throw that in. What is the plot of season one? Well, um, the kids of Oradon Prep plan a dance that is momentarily disrupted by the antics of CJ and Freddy. This is about as much of an arc as I could track. And then the plot of season two is as follows. The kids of Oradon Prep prepare for a Jewel Belie celebration. That's Jewel dash Belie celebration, but Mal's Jewel is cursed and it forces her to act like an asshole. Zevon steals all of the jewels because he's a bad little boy, but he's eventually brought to justice. Hooray? Huh, hooray. Zevon does employ a small army of screaming, deranged Pinocchio clones, if that if that interests anyone. Considering I had to listen to the intro for Wicked World about 18,000 times, I think it's only fair that you people, you people on the other end, listen to it at least once. So Patty and Benny, can we give the intro to <laughs> Descendants Wicked World? Mirror, mirror, what does our future hold? Show me what happens when our stories unfold. Welcome to my Wicked World, Wicked World. That's it, and now that I've heard it one more time just now, I'm officially certifiable. What you have to understand about Wicked World is that it's actively chasing the Bratz dragon. Like Bratz, the show is packed to the gills with female characters, but they all share the same hyper-skinny body type and move like dolls with limited articulation points. The animation is stiff and inexpressive, the average sim has more personality than any of these character designs, and the vocal performances rarely sync with lip movement. In summary, Wicked World fails every basic standard of animation, and as a fan of animation, I cannot and will not let this slide. Look, Wicked World is bad, alright? It left me feeling disoriented and just, uh, I'll say it again, embarrassed. And here's a shocker for you: Watching two-minute episodes of a TV series through Disney Plus is a real pain in the ass. Every time I settled into a groove, the show would immediately cut to black like the power had gone out. It was like being punched in the temple and I hated it. I should have watched this on YouTube. I know there's some sort of official playlist. It would have been smarter. Don't watch short-form media through Disney+. Plus. It's a fucking nightmare. Between this and School of Secrets, I am more than ready to write off short-form television as a concept. Oh, it's bite-sized. It's snackable. Shut up. Fuck you. Wicked World does include a number of songs, but choosing which is best or worst is a hopeless task because they all sound identical. I always knew it was hard to write and produce a quality pop song, but it's apparently quite easy to whip up the equivalent of lumpy, tasteless gruel. This song's about friendship. Oh, come on, they're all about friendship. 
Moving on, we move ever forward in a straight line toward 2017's Descendants 2, directed by Kenny Ortega, written by Sarah Perriott and Josanne McGiven, featuring new characters. We got new characters, China and McLean. Aha, yes, we remember her name. Yes, she's here as Uma, the daughter of Ursula. We have Thomas Doherty as Harry, the son of Captain Hook, Dylan Playfair as Gil, the son of Gaston, Anna Cathcart as Dizzy, that is the daughter of Drizella Tremaine from the Cinderella film, and she is also she is also the granddaughter of Lady Tremaine. And then finally, we have Bobby Moynihan as the voice of Dude the Dog. It's true. The plot. Mal finds herself missing the Isle of the Lost and wonders if she'll ever fit in with the squeaky clean people of Oridon. She's doing her best to assimilate, dyeing her hair, wooing the press, generally playing nice, but this new life is ill-fitting and starting to chafe. When Mal discovers Oridon's upcoming cotillion is little more than a pre-engagement party for her and Ben, it causes her anxiety to spike. And when Ben accuses her of relying on magic to make herself appear more capable and responsible, it positively breaks her spirit. She breaks up with Ben, renounces Oradon, and returns to the island for a bit of R&R. Ben and the VKs pursue Mal to the Isle of the Lost, and in the process, Evie rediscovers just how bad things are for the kids they left behind. Kids like Dizzy, a girl who's desperate to pursue her dreams, but is under the thumb of a terrible family. Sound familiar, Evie? Matters only get more complicated when Uma and her pirate crew kidnap Ben and demand the magic wand in exchange for his safe return. Everybody wants that fucking magic wand, I tell ya. Carlos produces a fake magic wand using his 3D printer. Don't ask. The 3D printer is a huge part of the plot. Don't ask about it. And the kids manage to save Ben. Alas, it's a bittersweet victory. The night of the cotillion arrives and Mal still isn't sure about what the future may hold for her and Ben, but when Ben shows up with Uma on his arm, she's like, oh, fuck. No, this sea witch is not about to steal my man. It turns out Ben is under yet another love spell. One Mal easily breaks with true love's kiss, huh? Uma turns into a giant octopus. Mal transforms into a dragon, which she was not aware she could do. And eventually Uma slinks away into the dark waters of the sea. The movie ends with Ben and Mal reunited together again and everyone vowing to bring more VKs over to Oridon Prep. Huzzah! Hooray! Oh, and Carlos starts dating Jane, which seems like a stretch to me, general observations regarding Descendants 2. The Ways to be Wicked opening number totally blows the first movie away. The choreography is more complex and thrilling. It's really thrilling, and everything is shot with an aggressive eye for the dynamic. And there's a bolder spirit on display that's infectious, and it involves everyone on campus getting fucked up on enchanted apples, which is amazing. I mean, what more could you possibly want? Yeah, it winds up being a fucked up fantasy in Mal's head, but it's fun while it lasts. Thematically, D2 is knocking it out of the park. If the first movie was all about getting out of your bad hometown and making something of yourself, D2 is about the guilt you might experience over the people you left behind. Sure, you may not have been able to take everyone with you on your way out, but the least you can do is use your newfound privilege to help others. There's also quite a bit of goodwill hunting DNA in this movie, surprisingly. Mal believes she's destined to live as a townie, essentially, while Evie goes on to make something of her.
herself. Ah, you gotta get out of Jersey, Evie. There's nothing for you here. Jersey's good for someone like me. It's all I'll ever know. But you, you're a star. Now get out of here, will ya? I'm gonna get shit-faced with the weasels from Roger Rabbit. That's all I know. Descendants 2 is also about how when you get into a meaningful relationship with someone you love and admire, you start to wonder if you'll ever be good enough for them. Sure, they think you're an amazing person, but are you an amazing person or are you simply good at faking it? What happens when the facade is torn down and they see the real you, the you that's constantly afraid of messing up a good thing? These are the thoughts running through Mal's head, and honey, I can relate. One of the better scenes from D2 involves Uma tying Ben up for the express purpose of roasting him straight to hell. She's like, hey, Ben, remember when you took pity on our inner city neighborhood and started handing out golden tickets to a better life? Why did you stop at four golden tickets, huh? Why did you only pick four kids? Did you, did you have any idea? Do you have any idea what it felt like for the rest of us, the VKs who were left here to rot? And Ben's like, oh, sorry, my bad. I meant to bring more kids over eventually, but I guess I got busy being king and all. Uh, you want to come over now? Fuck you, Ben. Ursula runs a restaurant called Ursula's Fish and Chips in this movie, which is a lot more fitting than Dr. Facilier running an arcade in Descendants 3. I don't know if I'm saying the doctor's name right. Sue me. Uma's pirate crew reminds me of my college improv team in that they're using their bodies to form a pirate ship at one point, and then later on, they're using their swords to form a clock face. That's the kind of bullshit we did on our college improv team. Uh, P.S. We were bad. I almost hesitate to admit this, but I did recognize a song from Wicked World when it started playing in the background of one Descendants 2 scene. That was a moment for me, let me tell you. So, this is who I am now. Huh, okay. A person who recognizes songs from Wicked World. What happened? How did I come to this? Dizzy is a pretty great character. I like her a lot. She's on the right side of Spunky and an expert fashion designer at the age of 10. But she also has a vital part to play in the story, which cannot be said of the characters we meet in Descendants 3. Dizzy is a reflection of Evie. Dizzy is the stone in Evie's pocket, always reminding her of the work that needs to be done on the aisle. I would argue Dizzy could go to Oradon with Mal and Evie literally whenever she is an abused child. She an indentured servant living in squalor, put her in the fucking limousine for Christ's sake, but for whatever reason our heroes wait until their personal ducks are in a row before reaching out to Dizzy. Benevolence only works when it's done at the proper time through the proper channels, I guess. Can we talk more about the Isle of the Lost for a second? They pretty up the Isle for the purposes of D3, but in Descendants 2, the Isle is a slum, plain and simple. Everything is falling apart, and everyone seems perpetually hungry and without a home. They don't have Wi-Fi, and seemingly the only TV station they get is 24-7 Oradon propaganda. It's nothing but softball reports on the glamorous activity in Oradon. It's completely fucked up. Yes, let them see what they're missing. I want them to stew in their own filth. Between Queen Leia's outspoken prejudice in the first movie and a teenage black girl serving as the villain of the second, it's safe to say this franchise has a troubled relationship with black women. Shit gets especially weird when Uma shows up at the cotillion and everyone's like, oh, what the fuck is she doing here? You're not wanted here. You're evil and despicable. All I'm saying is it was weird to watch an entire room of people look upon a young black woman with horror and disdain. 
Lumiere is in Descendants too, but he's old and boring and not at all horny, which is a tragedy. Everyone knows Lumiere is constantly horny. I'm happy to report Lonnie plays a much bigger role in D2 than she does in D1. In the first film, she's like, Hi, Mal, I'm Lonnie, Mulan's daughter. Oh, I love your hair. Can you make my hair look as cool as yours? All she cares about is her hair. But in D2, she's an ace fighter who helps save Ben and becomes the captain of Oradon Prep's sword fighting team, so I'd say that's a significant evolution. Ben roars like a beast during the confrontation between Dragon Mal and Octopus Uma, and for a second, I thought we were really going to get an Octo-Beast Dragon throwdown all of the sci-fi channel. Alas, that does not happen. Ben does go full beast in Descendants 3, but how was I to know such a moment was in my future? There's quite a bit of dancing in inch-high water during the film's finale, and I could not get enough of it. Dancing in inch-high water? Sure! I'm certain half the cast would have been sick as a dog by the end of the shoot, but who am I to get in the way of fine art? Descendants 2 is the best entry in the trilogy, no doubt about it. It has the best script, songs, and themes, and the dynamic of the four main VKs is fantastic. Watch it, have fun, and don't even think about approaching anything else this franchise has to offer. You'll find out why right the hell now. Well, right after we proclaim which is the best song and which is the worst song from Descendants 2, the best song is Chillin' Like a Villain. Let me tell you something you can really trust. Everybody's got a wicked side I know you think that you can never be like us Watch and learn so you can get it right You need to drag your feet You need to nod your head You need to lean back Slip through the cracks You need to not care Uh, you need to not stare You need a whole lot of help You need to not be yourself <laughs> It has this fun, cheesy combination vibe of Huey Lewis and the News and Bruno Mars. Those are the two names that keep popping up in my head, but it's been in my head all week, and I really enjoy that fact. I like having it right up there in the noggin. And then the worst song, and I only say this because it's essentially forgettable, is the happy ending song from this film, and that's You and Me. Can we get that? Sometimes it's hard to find yourself, but it's worth it in the end. Thank you very much. 
Ways to Be Wicked, What's My Name, and Space Between are also super solid songs from this movie. Even the Kiss the Girl cover over the credits is surprisingly fun. So really, across the board, D2 is really putting everything else to shame. What do we got next, Patty and Benny? Oh, yes, of course. Under the Sea, a Descendants short story from 2018, directed by Hasroff Delul and written by Jonathan Langager? Langanger. Oh, Langager. Goodness gracious. And Ollie Shear. I apologize, as always. Goodness gracious. I just... I know that I'm not doing well. <laughs> I like to do well in all aspects of life, but I can't be perfect. This, uh, this, okay, so this little short film features Dove Cameron, China Ann McLean, Anna Cathcart, Thomas Doherty, and Dylan Playfair, all people that we have seen before. No new characters. The plot, uh, okay, so Mal is taking a stroll through the woods. This is nine minutes long, by the way. She's taking a stroll through the woods on the Isle of the Lost when she comes across a talking orb of bright blue flame. Spooky! Even spookier, the voice that emanates from the orb belongs to Mal's father. What? But we've never met her father. Who could her father be? She stumbles out of the woods and crosses paths with Dizzy, who suddenly becomes possessed by the spirit of Uma. Ooh, whoa, spooky! Uma and Mal face off while singing a cover of Kelly Clarkson's Stronger, What Doesn't Kill You. And if you think that sounds like a bad pairing, you are right. Mal walks away from this musical battle and finds herself stumbling out of the woods all over again. And hey, here's Dizzy. Was it all a bad dream? How does all of this feed into Descendants 3? Spoiler, it doesn't at all. I don't have any general observations about whatever the hell this thing is, but now is as good a time as any to praise China Ann McLean's performance as Uma. She's the best actor in the franchise. Cool, calm, and confident in the face of material that could easily swallow up a less capable performer, and I found myself drawn to whatever she was doing in a given scene. I also like Dove Cameron as Mal, but Descendants 3 has no idea what to do with her, and her performance suffers as a result. Ya done, Dove Dirty! Disney. Speaking of Descendants 3, let's talk about that now. Okay, it premiered in 2019, just last year. It's directed by Kenny Ortega. Oh my god, Kenny Ortega, you have just been all up in my grill, especially since on Patreon, patreon.com slash musicalmanpod, we have been talking about the High School Musical franchise for weeks and weeks. Ah, uh, Kenny, you love you love to do it to me, don't you, Kenny? You love to do it to me. Uh, Descendants 3 is written by Josanne McGiven and Sarah Perriott. We've heard those names before. Welcome back. And and it features Cheyenne Jackson as Hades, Jada Marie as Celia, the daughter of Dr. Facilier, okay, great, Faustino Di Bauda as Smee, Christian Convery and Luke Rossler as Squeaky and Squirmy, the sons of Smee. Uh, we have Jamal Sims as Dr. Facilier and Linda Coe as Lady Tremaine. The plot. All right, Mal, Carlos, Evie, and Jay return to the Isle of the Lost to choose four new villain kids for Ordon. On prep. The selection process seems, how do I put this? Fuzzy. The kids fill out applications. We see them holding applications, but I have no idea how final decisions are made. Random lottery? Some sort of voting process? I'm just gonna assume Mal and her pals pick whomever the hell they want, and the whole thing is rigged. Who gets picked this time around? Why, none other than Dizzy, Celia, Squeaky, and Squirmy. Congrats, kids! Ah, but what's this? On their way back to Oridon, the vicious and vile 
Hades, tries to make a break for it. He nearly gets through the barrier. Oh no! This scares the ever-loving shit out of everyone, and Mal suggests they close the island's barrier once and for all, forever, with everyone still inside. Never mind, never mind that Evie and the rest of the VKs were set on bringing over more kids in the future. They weren't done bringing over kids. Never mind how closing the barrier forever would mean separating children from their parents. I told you Oradon was ice. This seems like a shitty neoconservative idea in the best of lights, and Ben says as much. He's completely horrified, but Mal, Belle, and the Beast proceed as if the matter has been settled. Ah, oh. oh, big surprise! Bella and the Beast are a fan of this fucked up idea. Mal doesn't tell any of her friends about this decision because she knows they'll hate her for it, but, you know, safety above all else. We must sacrifice everything in the name of safety, even if it destroys the lives of the less fortunate. I mean, Hades, right? Oh, we gotta do something about him. And don't forget about Uma. Ah, Uma's out there swimming around in the ocean, you guys. We gotta watch out for Uma, Uma, Uma! Did I mention Ben and Mal are engaged. They're engaged to be wed, and this is driving Audrey nuts. You remember Audrey, right? The girl Ben dumped for Mal in the first movie? Audrey seemed fine at the end of the first Descendants, but now she's pissed and out for blood. It would appear she and Ben have been in some sort of arranged marriage since they were children, but now that the title of Queen is effectively out of her reach, it's time to wreck some fucking havoc. She steals Maleficent's scepter, turns half the population of Oradon to stone, and knocks the other half into a catatonic state. It's a sorry state of affairs, I tell ya. The only MacGuffin more powerful than Maleficent's scepter is the legendary Ember, which belongs to Hades. So everyone sets off to try and secure that there Ember. Hades is Mal's deadbeat dad, by the way. She's never told anyone this except Evie, not even Ben, her long-term boyfriend and current fiancé. Oh, Mal, you're a bubbling cauldron of secrets, aren't ya? The VKs eventually team up with Uma and her pirate sidekicks, but only after Mal promises Uma that any kid who wants to get off the aisle will be allowed to do so. She's lying, of course. Oh, sure, those kids can come over whenever they want. I'm not going to lock them away forever. That would be monstrous. <laughs> Skipping ahead, the kids get the ember. Mal uses it to go up against Audrey, and Audrey nearly dies. She's one foot in the grave when Hades is like, Eh, fine. I guess I'll do one nice thing for my daughter and pull her stupid frenemy back from the brink. So in the end, Audrey is fine and Oradon is saved. But everyone is furious with Mal because by now they've learned about all the bullshit she's been feeding them throughout the entire movie. Mal adopts a mournful tone and delivers a monologue about everything she's learned during her latest adventure. And with a wave of her hand, she destroys the island barrier. Poof! It's gone! Everyone can come over to Oradon whenever they want! But did Mal actually feel bad, or is she merely looking to score some much-needed brownie points? Ah, uh, we'll never know, because everyone's too busy dancing! Dancing, everyone! Even Hades has joined the party. The end! General observations regarding Descendants 3. I admire how Audrey is pulling an old-fashioned Sharpay Evans at the top of D3. Oh, you thought I was fine with being screwed over, did you? Well, that's because I wanted you to think that, and now I'm back and worse than ever, baby! 
The obvious question I have is, why didn't Audrey turn our heroes to stone? Why didn't she put them into a catatonic state? I suppose it's more fun to play with your victims as a cat plays with mice, but I don't know. I'm all about time management when it comes to my villainy. Knock it out and kick back, I say. Another question, where the hell is Lonnie in this movie? She was kicking ass in D2, and now she's nowhere to be found? Uh, very disappointing, D3. I thought she and Jay had a nice little romance developing between them, but instead, he winds up with Gil, Gaston's son. Now, I'm a fan of that match, trust me. Gil is a goofy, stupid bottom, and Jay is a quietly confident top. I just miss Lonnie is all. Where's Lonnie? Harry Hook openly flirts with Jay, and while I was prepared for that moment, it still took my breath away. Harry Hook's like, hey, Jay, thanks for saving me, gorgeous face. Harry Hook is oozing chaotic bisexual energy from every fucking pore, and I am into it. So at the end of D2, it's made clear that Dizzy has been selected to attend Oradon Prep. Oradon guards show up at her door, and you think, well, case closed, she's going to leave that very same night. Pack your bags, Dizzy! But at the top of D3, she's waiting to be picked like everyone else. What the hell? You're writing three movies, everybody, not ten. There's no reason for this sort of glaring inconsistency. Speaking of glaring inconsistencies, it's heavily implied that Maleficent is no longer a purple gecko who lives in a terrarium in Mal's dorm room. So, what happened to Maleficent? She's back on the island? When did that happen? Is this one of those situations where I have to read a comic book or play a stupid video game to know what's happening, what's going on? No, thanks. Just fill me in. You might be wondering, what do Squeaky and Squirmy have to do with the plot? What purpose do they serve? Nothing and none. The characters barely speak and the actors look supremely uncomfortable on camera. Sorry, more questions from me, the musical man. Why would Mal go out of her way to hide the fact that Hades is her father? Everyone already knows you're the daughter of one infamous villain. What's the big deal? Is there a benefit that comes with keeping this secret? And why did Ben never think to ask, hey, who's your dad anyway? Ben is a dopey idiot. Speaking of dopey, Doug... Doug, the son of Dopey, has long, silky hair in Descendants 3, and it's fucking gross. He and Evie had almost no chemistry to begin with, and I have a hard time believing Evie would be into a guy who looks like a half-stoned parrot head. A cheeseburger in paradise! Gross. On the flip side, Ben turning into a beast is everything I could have wanted and more. Everything I ever wanted and more. I half expected him to run off with Linda Hamilton and solve a bunch of sewer crimes. And when he turns back into a human, he's rocking a beard and fangs. Fangs? I never knew I was into fangs, but let me tell you, me into fangs. Kiss, kiss. Fang, fang. Obviously, the biggest misstep in this franchise is how D3 handles Mal. Her whole takeaway from D2 is how she'll always be a girl of the aisle who cannot and should not forget about her roots. Ignoring where you come from only makes it harder to move forward, etc., etc. It's quite a good arc, but then D3 turns her into a whimpering coward who's more than willing to throw her friends and loved ones under the bus. The Mal I know wouldn't have come up with this barrier idea in the first place, and she certainly wouldn't have lied like a sociopath. Mal is strong, she's savvy, and this reversal reeks of desperation on the part of the writers. Now, obviously, I'm no screenwriter, but here's my pitch for Descendants 3. First of all, Mal should want to destroy the barrier right when the movie opens. She gets her wish, the barrier comes tumbling down, and everything is fine and dandy. 
at first. But then Hades steps into the picture looking to become the king of the mountain. And who does he team up with? Why, none other than Chad's parents, Cinderella and Prince Charming. They would be more than happy to overthrow King Ben because A, they hate villains, and B, they still resent Belle and the Beast for deposing them 20 plus years ago. Sure, Hades is a villain himself, he cannot be trusted, but he's promising them a kingdom of their very own. No one else is promising them that. I admittedly don't know what happens next, but I do like the idea of Oridon's elite being forced to live on the Isle of the Lost. Belle and the Beast would finally have to face what they did and accept that a few acts of charity do not wipe away the sins of the past. Poignant! Poignancy! Descendants 2 goes out of its way to emphasize the friendship and enduring bond of the four villain kids, which proves to be its smartest and most profitable decision. That's right, I'm still praising Descendants 2. There's a scene in D2 where Carlos essentially says, look, we're going to sit down and work through our shit right here and now because we care about each other and we can't get anything done unless everything is on the table. The movie basically stops in its tracks for a talk therapy session and I love it. It's progressive and borderline meditative, but D3 loses sight of this important dynamic because it's more of a shaggy road trip hangout movie. Roughly 30% of the runtime is dedicated to playing get-to-know-you games and eating birthday cake. A lot of scenes where people just sit around eating birthday cake, not a lot of forward momentum. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I like hangout movies, but when you're splitting your time between about 100 different characters, the lead VKs inevitably get lost in the process. Someone must have realized this was happening because in its final scene, D3 brushes all of that excess away so the kids can lock in with each other one last time. I'm grateful for that moment not only because it ends the franchise on a high note, but because it likely serves as a source of comfort for Cameron Boyce's co-stars. Cameron Boyce died shortly after his 20th birthday, and what can I say? He was a talented guy, especially when it came to dancing. He's a fucking talented as hell dancer, and it's clear he was loved by many. That His death was quite obviously a tragedy, and it makes me sad thinking about it. I just wanted to reference it here before moving on to the best song and the worst song. The best song from D3 is Good To Be Bad. Let's hear it! Everyone, come and take your shot Now's the time, show what you got Cause everyone's gonna get their chance Thank you! And the worst song by far is Mal. Oh, they give her yet another syrupy solo. Let's get that. It's my once upon a time. Make sure the story that they write goes once upon a time. She fought the dragon. Once upon a time, as peace was me. Once upon a misspent youth, she faced herself. She spoke the
again. I want to close out our episode on the Descendants franchise by offering up some character ideas. That's right, I'm coming up with a bit of fan fiction of my own. Here are some character ideas for the extended Descendants universe. How about Dinah, the daughter of Medusa and Mr. Snoops from The Rescuers? What about Clyde, the son of Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame? How about Mimi, daughter of Madame Mim and Merlin from The Sword in the Stone? We got Forsyth, the son of Clayton from Disney's Tarzan. We have Portia, daughter of Percival C. McLeach from The Rescuers Down Under. Hortense, daughter of the Horned King from The Black Cauldron. Ooh, she's got horns, baby! Shane, the son of Sean Yu from Mulan. Elma, the daughter of Alameda Slim. Alameda Slim. Now, I can't even... Oh, Alameda Slim from Home on the Range, of course. That was Chris's idea to come up with a character who was the child of Alameda Slim from Home on the Range. Oh, goodness gracious. We have QT, that's the letters Q and T, and Q-Ball, that's Q-B-A-L-L, the twin children of Quasimodo and Madeline. You all remember Madeline from The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, the direct-to-video film? Oh, it's available on Disney Plus right now. Do not watch it, it's terrible. We have D and Dum, the children of the Queen of Hearts, and the Mad Hatter, that's right, the Queen of Hearts fucked the Mad Hatter, baby. And here are some hero kids for you. We have Noni, the daughter of Tiana and Prince Naveen from The Princess and the Frog. Polly, the daughter of Pocahontas and John Rolfe. I'm sure that wouldn't be problematic at all. Mo, the son of Mowgli and the unnamed village girl from The Jungle Book. I believe they have to name her in The Jungle Book too, right? John Goodman as the bear? I'm sure they give that girl a name. <laughs> and finally, I love this idea. Preston, the son of Milo James Thatch and Princess Kida. I love Atlantis The Lost Empire. So underrated. And that's it. That's all I have for you in terms of character notes, and that's all I have for you in terms of my observations of the Descendants franchise. I'm so glad we were finally able to cash this check. It's been sitting on our desk, our metaphorical desk, for over a year now, and we've cashed it baby. That's fantastic. So thank you again to all of you, all 30 of you who wrote those fantastic five-star reviews. Again, if you haven't done so already, please consider going into Apple Podcasts. We want to hear why you love the show, and it helps to further advertise the show by just showing people that, yes, this is a podcast that you should be listening to. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to figure out how you, how you can support the show financially. Normally, we would give a complete rundown of all of the Patreon tier incentives, the bonus content, but we're not going to do that this time around. And we're not going to do the weekly verbal shoutouts because I don't have that in front of me. I apologize. You know what? We'll do it twice. We'll do it twice next week. That's right. We're going to say all of your names twice when we talk about the Phantom of the Opera, right? Yes! We got to do our research on the Phantom of the Opera now. We got to dive into that pool. So we'll see you then. Okay, thank you so much for listening as always. We love you, baby. Okay, bye-bye. Bye! Kiss the girl, kiss the girl, girl. Shout out.